0: Good morning. Everybody have a good 4th of July? Yeah, Ears still ringing from some some fireworks. Uh, A couple years ago, a movie came out where the main character, uh, life kind of began to unravel and nothing seemed to be going right. You guys seen that movie before? It's like every movie, right? Like there's a character, something goes wrong. This movie a little different. This had an interesting uh, twist on it, a theological twist on it. That's centered around, like, how we interact with God. Maybe uh, anybody seen uh, the movie Bruce Almighty? Like, Danielle and I were talking about it and didn't realize. I was like, yeah, that movie came out a couple years ago. That was, like, over 20 years ago. (laughs) I think I'm officially getting older. Not old, Older. Uh, Bruce Almighty, if you haven't seen the movie, um, the main character is played by Jim Carrey and his life kind of unravels. He's a rising star in the news world and he gets passed over for a promotion, has a meltdown on live TV, gets in a fight with his girlfriend, goes for a a drive, uh, wrecks his car, like runs while he's driving. He's going like, God, what are you doing? Like, would you do something? Give me a sign. Like he wrecks his car. And as he's standing beside his car, which is smashed into a light pole, he says this. He says, fine, the gloves are off. Come on, let me see a little wrath. Smite me, oh mighty smiter. You're the one who should be fired. The only one not here, not doing his job is you. He goes, answer me. You ever ever been there? Maybe not quite that On the side of the road, maybe you didn't have a car accident, but I'm guessing you, like me, have had multiple times in your life where you found yourself going, God, are you there? And if you are there, it doesn't seem like you're doing your job. And at the minimum, we're saying, can you please just answer me? Can you let me know you're there? Can you give me a little hint? Give me a little help. Can you show up, please? Well, as we continue our series, Come Back to Me, we come to this little book. A book that you probably go to turn there, your pages are going to stick together because I guarantee you haven't spent a whole lot of time there. It takes up two and a half pages in my Bible. We're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. So we're not going to race there. I'm going to give you plenty of time. You can go to the table of contents. It might be your fastest route there. Or you can go to Matthew, five books to the left. That's where Habakkuk is. And I'm excited about this morning. Um, I think uh, what God has for us is going to be great. So great that I believe this sermon will rank in the top 10 sermons you have ever heard on the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> so we're setting the bar really, really, really high. What I love about this book and why I start with that reference from that movie. while well, Bruce Almighty is not a case study in good theology. It does give us a window and it resonates with us because I believe we find ourselves in Bruce. Bruce's place so many times questioning God what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you not answering? That is where we're going to find Habakkuk as he opens this book. We don't know a whole lot about the author. We don't know a lot about his background. We don't know anything about his family. Habakkuk is actually called out by name a total of two times in all of scripture both of which are in his own book. So we don't know a whole lot. We do know that it was probably written around the time of 612 B.C. and 605 B.C. And he was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah has a whole lot more than two and a half pages. You probably spent a little more time in his book. But they were around the same time and doing ministry at the same time. And this is where we find Habakkuk. In chapter 1, what we're going to see, and what I want you to remember as we dive into this book, is this book is different than all the other prophetic books. Primarily because when you turn to the prophets, what you're used to finding is a prophet coming and making a declaration about something that God wants his people to know. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna speak on behalf of God to the people. That's not happening in this book. You see, first of all, Habakkuk isn't speaking on behalf of God to the people. He's speaking to God about the people. And instead of making a declaration, he's going to open up a dialogue. He begins talking with God. He is going to say, answer me. He's going to say, what are you doing? So in Habakkuk chapter one, verse one, it says this, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruct, destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention rise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. We don't know what all has led to this point. We don't know how many other conversations, how many other prayers Habakkuk has had. We know what we have in front of us here is Habakkuk's not happy. He's frustrated. Why is he frustrated? He's not frustrated at outside forces. He's frustrated at God's own people. He's saying, God, when I look around, and I see your people who carry your name, who are supposed to be following your ways, they're not doing it. There's deceit. There's wickedness. There's evil going on within your people. And what does he say? He says, um, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? How long will I cry violence and you will not save? He's, He's not saying, hey, God, please show up. He's saying, God, you're not doing your job. You're not doing the things that you said that you would do. There's things going on that you said you don't approve of and you're not doing anything, which seems like you're approving of them. At the core, here we see Habakkuk asking a question. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? As we look at um, this book, I want us to to break it into three chapters. And I want us to look at three different categories of faith. What we see, we see a progression in Habakkuk's faith. We're going to see in chapter one where his faith wavers. We're gonna see in chapter two where his faith waits and we're gonna see in chapter three where faith worships. And I would encourage you, since you probably, like me, don't spend a whole lot of time in this book, I'd pull your Bible out, I'd make some notes. So the next time you turn here, you go, oh, that's what was going on. Because what I want us to see is that the the journey and the stages that Habakkuk's gonna go through in these short three chapters, I believe provides us encouragement and a template for us in our own faith today you ever heard the uh the phrase out of sight out of mind when we say that what we mean right is that like i don't see you i'm not thinking about you and i think when we open this book and we read these first four verses of habakkuk we see habakkuk thinking out of sight out of mind is god's perspective on us He's saying, out of sight, God, I can't see you working. I can't see you showing up. I don't see you fulfilling your promises. Therefore, you must not be thinking of me. You must not be mindful of me. You must not be for me. But the reality is we know that's not true of our God. Just because we can't see him moving doesn't mean he's not moving. Just because we can't see him working doesn't mean he's not working. Just because he doesn't seem faithful doesn't mean he's faithless. Philip Yancey, an author, writes this when he talks about our complaints. He says, God wants us to come to him with our complaints. If we march through life pretending to smile while inside we bleed, we dishonor the relationship. Habakkuk comes to God with a complaint What are you doing? And sometimes I think we get a little nervous. Like, are, is he being too honest? Like, is this a little too harsh? But Yancy reminds us here that God invites us to share our complaints. Now, granted, he's not asking us, hey, please share your questions. Please share your complaints. Please share your doubts and your fears so that me, as God, can learn something that I didn't already know. Right? God knows exactly what we're afraid of. He knows exactly the doubts we have, the questions we have, the complaints we have before we bring them. So why would God want us to bring our complaints, doubts, fears, and questions to him? Because he knows what it does in us for us to verbalize it, for us to express it, is an important part of our faith. Habakkuk's faith is wavering. He's going, why? Because, because God, you're not doing what I thought you would do. You're not being who I thought you would be. And God invites that. He invites that honesty so that he can hear and he can begin to work in us in the midst of those doubts, questions, and fears. Now, Beyoncé talks about the fact that it dishonors the relationships. The the relationship can't grow if there's not honesty around what's going on. Now, we know this, husbands, because in your home, if it's like my home, you have encountered a certain scenario where something is wrong, and you ask, what is wrong? And you get an answer, nothing. A lot of you are smiling, so it's not just me. (laughs) Now, as a guy... If that happens to me, it t- I typically look back going, okay, I've got to retrace my thoughts. What did I say? What did I do? What did I not say? What did I not do? That led to the fact that there is a problem, but we're not going to voice the problem or call out the problem. I need to figure out what the problem is, right? That's not our God. Our God isn't going, oh, gosh, Matt's mad at me. What did I do? <laughs> right? He's asking us to voice our complaints so that he can help grow our faith. You see, God not only desires our honest questions and complaints, He expects them based on the relationship. When we deny our hurt, our frustration, or when we deny the fact that sometimes trusting God is hard, the only person we're trying to fool here is ourselves. So Habakkuk finds himself perplexed, and as a result, his faith is wavering. What about you? What, what in your life is causing or has caused your faith to waver? You're going, what I thought was true, it, it, it's hard to believe it right now. It's hard to see it right now. You see, one of the reasons that I love the Bible and I love what we have in Scripture is that this is not a picture of people with perfect faith. It's not a peop- picture of all these people in our past that God holds up and says, hey, be like these people who were really, really, really awesome. Instead, our scripture is honest. Our scripture includes story after story and story of people who've questioned, of people who doubted, of people who wrestled and demonstrate for us that this faith thing, more often than not, is really, really challenging. I'll give you a couple examples. Jeremiah, we said before, is a contemporary of Habakkuk. What did he think about God? Well, in Jeremiah 15, 18, he says, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? He's saying, God, I don't know if I can trust you. Like that place that I go to get water when I show up and there's no water there, that's kind of how I feel about you, God. You're not coming through. You're not there when I need you most. Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 14, things were good and then things weren't good. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. Not exactly what we would describe as a picture of strong faith. David, man after God's own heart in Psalm 13, one said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Our Bible is full again and again and again of the heroes of our faith wrestling with their faith it's the same thing we find here in Habakkuk. Him going, what are you doing, God? Well, in the movie, Bruce Almighty, Bruce says, answer me. And if you've seen the movie, you know God does answer. God pages him. If you remember what those things were, little pagers. And here in Habakkuk, God responds. God responds in verse 5. And not about you, but I love this response. Look at the nations, God says, and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, when you read that, do you go good news or bad news? Come on. I think it's a trick question. You read good news, right? Great. I have a problem. I gave it to God. God comes back and said, hey, hey, I got a plan, and it's going to be better than you imagined. There is not better anywhere in that verse. (laughs) What God says is, you're gonna wonder and be astounded. This is not a plan. This is not a solution that you would have ever thought of. What is God gonna say? Check out verse six. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Now, who are the Chaldeans? Chaldeans are also referred to as the Babylonians. And are they good people? Well, let's find out. God, and he says, my plan that you would not believe and you would not think of is to raise up the Chaldeans that are bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They come all come for violence. All their face faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men, whose own might is their god. If Habakkuk was confused, if Habakkuk was perplexed, he is incredibly confused now. Because God's going to do something astounding, and the astounding thing is, He's going to use the most ruthless, brutal, wicked people on the face of the earth to accomplish His purpose. Just by that point, Habakkuk's like, time out, time out, time out. I don't know if you understood what I was saying. See, a quick history lesson if you go back in the Old Testament, you had the Assyrians, and the Assyrians rose to power, and the Assyrians actually conquered the larger part of the world and they part of the conquering was to come and take the northern part of israel take the 10 tribes they conquered them carried them off into captivity so you got this lower portion of israel left judah and what's going to happen is these chaldeans the babylonians are rising to power they about the time that habakkuk is written the chaldeans rise to power and conquer assyria and so they're taking us there over their capital. So the word around is that this, these people are coming. They're worse than the Assyrians. They're ruthless. They're brutal. They're wicked. And God's going, yeah, and those guys you've read about in the news, though, that's my solution. That's how I'm going to fix this injustice problem that you're seeing. That's how I'm going to address the wickedness within my own people. And Habakkuk was confused, is now really confused. And I think there's a question in there for you and me. Are we okay with a God who's able to do things, orchestrate things, and accomplish things that you and I would never have thought possible or they would have never thought right? You see, the solution that God's providing, his way of justice, Habakkuk is gonna say, seems incredibly unjust. It doesn't seem right here's the challenge with our faith at times god doesn't seem to be working at times god doesn't seem to be moving and in those spaces we're left to question god what are you doing and then we look and we see him moving or we see him moving in ways we don't think he should move or in ways that don't seem right or don't seem to line up and the questions get deeper but when we look at scripture guess what just like we have example after example of people wrestling with their faith And God is saying, that's the example I want you to follow. I want you to wrestle like them. I know it's hard. and I'm giving you examples to remind you that you're not alone. He also gives us a story after story after story when we know them because they're Bible stories, so they just seem to make sense. But the reality is they did not make sense. For example, think about Noah. Who would have come up with the plan that in order to fix what was going on in the world, that we're going to build a boat in the desert and bring a flood? No one was thinking that. Then fast forward. What about Joseph? Hey, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a famine. I know how to fix the famine. I'm going to have one of Joseph sold by his brothers into slavery. Then sit in jail so he can rise to power so he can save my people. And then guess what? The people will be saved, but then they're going to be enslaved. And guess what? They're going to need to be saved again. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to take Moses. I'm going to have Pharaoh kill all the Israelite babies except for Moses. We're going to save him by the Pharaoh's daughter who's going to be raised in Pharaoh's house. Then he's going to kill an Egyptian. So then he's going to run for his life. So then he's going to wait in the desert for 40 years. And that is the guy that I'm going to use to rescue my people. Like look throughout the Old Testament. Again and again and again, God works in ways that we do not understand. But when you step back, what do we see? We see, oh my gosh, there was God. There was God. There was God. There's God, again, working, always fulfilling his plan. You see, the God of the Bible does not fit in our nice little boxes or read from a script that we provide. But our God is good. Our God is faithful. Our God's promises are true. Which is where Habakkuk, Comes back to. After this unorthodox, seemingly inconceivable plan that God has said is going to be put into motion, he responds by pointing back to who he knows God is. In chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O oh Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O oh rock, have established them for reproof. For you are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk's name means embracer. And we see here a man who is perplexed and questioning, but still embracing the truth of God. Look at what he says. He, he, he points to, O oh Lord, my God. Oh, my holy one, my God, my holy one. This God that he doesn't understand, that he's, he's trying to wrap his head around questioning, complaining to, protesting to is still what? He's not that God, It's his God. And here, you know, when we look in the Old Testament, when we see Lord L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's a reference to Yahweh, which is the covenantal name of God. He's saying, hey, you're my God and the God that's my God is a God who made a covenant, is a God who is faithful to his promises. So even in the midst of the unknown, Habakkuk is standing on what he knows about God and what he is still choosing to believe. So in this space, as he's perplexed and he's asking the question, what are you doing? He turns a little bit in the beginning of chapter two, from being perplexed to now waiting. He says, "I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I'll look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint." In those days, cities would be surrounded by walls, right? And walls were built high, not just for protection but for perspective. Because you could climb up into the walls and climb up into the tower and the towers were built so they could see what was coming, right? If an invading army was coming or danger was coming or a storm was coming, they could see. And the same is true for us today. We may not be climbing towers, but perspective is essential for our faith. For us to be able to pause, for us to be able to climb up. And not only can we climb up and get a different perspective, not only looking at what's coming, it also allows us to look at what's it been we look back again and again throughout the old testament god set aside times for those people to stop to pause to reflect to remember specific things that he'd done in the past why because he knows in order for you to trust me today one of the greatest assets you have is remembering and celebrating how i've been faithful in the past so here we see habakkuk questioning and wavering and then here we see him saying no i'm going to a higher place I'm going up to the tower as I'm going to wait. I'm going to look at what you've done. Where I've been asking the question, what are you doing? I'm now going to ask myself the question, what have you done? And I'm going to remember your faithfulness in the past. Habakkuk 2, verse 2, God responds a second time. And he says, he answers, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. I love this. God says, hey, I'm gonna do what I promised to do. And it's so so sure, I want you to write it down. Don't just write it down. Tablets, that's essentially stone, right? Write it in stone. Like it's going to happen. And you think a back, it's going, yes. And then God does this little thing in verse three For still the vision awaits its appointed time, and it has hastened to the end, it will not lie. And this, if it seems slow, has God's actions ever seemed slow to you in your life? You're going, uh, God, I know what you promised, I know what you said you were going to do. But there's a big, this like time lapse in between what you said and then what is happening is kind of getting longer and longer and longer. Like, and I'm really tired of waiting. Here, once again, in the spaces when we find ourselves waiting, we have an anchor that says, guess what? Just because you're waiting doesn't mean God's not working. And when you look at this, you're reminded that oftentimes there have been many, many people in the past who've waited a really long time for God to move. But he moved. So here we are encouraged once again to remember that, hey, what I've said I'll do, I will do. Except it may be a little longer than you would have liked. It may take a little longer and we've already seen it may look a little different than you might want. But write it down, put it in stone. It's gonna happen. Did you notice the the end here of verse four? One of the most famous lines in the book of Habakkuk is the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Which is interesting because if you jump up just a a hair in your Bible and look at uh, the end of verse 13, he, he questions what God is doing when he says, hey, you can't, you're, you, you're good, you're holy. You can't use evil things, right? You can't use evil people. And then he says in the end of verse 13, he says, the man more righteous than he. See, Habakkuk, like us, looks at the world in levels. Like there's really, really righteous and there's really, really not righteous. And we're saying, the as really, the, long as you're higher up on the scale than the person below you, you're better than them. But there is no scale in God's eyes. There's two categories, two buckets. Righteous and unrighteous. So here, he reminds us in chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. What determines you being righteous? It's faith. It's the only thing that can make us right before God. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. And we don't have time to dig into each one, but I just want to point these to you and you can dig into them later. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul points to it and says, hey, he quotes it when basically making the argument, righteous, righteous. The faith justifies us before God. The only way you and I are made right before God is not what we do, it's not what we can earn. It's what God did for us. How do we receive that? By faith. We become righteous. Those who are unrighteous become righteous by one means and one means alone. That's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In Gal- Galatians 3.11, Paul again quotes the same uh, verse in Habakkuk. And here he's pointing to the fact that we live by faith because we've been justified We're not living, trying to live faithful lives in order to earn something from God. We live faithful lives because we've been justified by God. And then the author of Hebrews quotes it as well. And here he's giving us a reminder that faith gives us the strength to persevere. I guess the faith that anchors us and motivates us to continue walking forward even when it may be difficult. Faith is what makes us righteous. It's faith that in which we use in how we live day by day, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, the rest of chapter two, we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time there, but the rest of chapter two, God basically comes out and he goes, hey, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're not righteous, they're wicked, and I am just. Therefore, my justice will prevail. And throughout the rest of chapter two, you'll notice, if you may in your Bibles, you can circle all of the different times The word woe is used. There's five woes that are given here. And here are just a real uh, high level of what he's saying. He's saying, woe to the plunderer, the person who takes what's not there. Woes to the dishonest people. Woe to the unrighteous builder. Woe to the shameless and perverse. Woe to the makers of idols. Now, you read this whole chapter two, I guarantee you, your head will spin and you'll go, what are we saying? I pull this in front of you to say, guess what? The same God who's not okay with wickedness, not okay with plundering, dishonest, unrighteousness, shameless and perverse making of idols is the same God who will not tolerate that today. And what he's saying in the end of chapter 2 is he's saying, guess what? I have not missed anything. Out of sight is not out of mind. I am watching, I'm aware of, I'm seeing everything. And because I am just and because I am a righteous God, there will be punishment for any and all sin. And we know this when he's talking about the Chaldeans because just a few years later, the Chaldeans will be conquered by the Persians. Everything that he foretells here actually happened to those people. Now, he used those people to punish his people, but it was not at the expense of his justice in the end his justice prevailed so I would encourage you if there are spaces in your life when you're saying God where is your justice maybe there's a category here where you go man I've been on the wrong side of that or maybe potentially I've been the one who's been inflicting that this is a sobering passage to go hey what I whatever is done that is not right there will be a price to pay. And either Jesus takes the price for us because of our faith in the work of the cross that allows everything we've done wrong to be paid and made right, or we suffer the eternal consequences of that sin. Here, as we shift into chapter three, we've seen uh, Habakkuk's faith waver and we've seen him waiting. And here in chapter three, we find him worshiping. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can feel like faith is passive. Sometimes I'm left with faith because there's nothing I can do. And there's nothing else to say, or there's no way to fix it. So the only option is, well, I guess I'll just trust God. But in chapter 3, we see him doing something active with his faith. We see him choosing to worship. Check this out in verse 16. It says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. Earlier in chapter three, he's walking through all of God's power and how mighty he is. And he gets to this verse 16 and he's essentially saying, so because you are trustworthy, because you are good, because you are just, what you've said The plan that I didn't understand, that I wouldn't have comprehended, is going to happen. Therefore, what am I going to do? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait not only for those who are coming to conquer us, but I'm waiting for you to take out your justice and make right the wrongs that they inflict on us. But then, check out the rest. These last three verses are absolutely stunning. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock will be cut off from the fold and there'll be no herd in the stalls. Now pause there. In an agricultural society, what he's describing is not a bad day. What he's describing is not a bad week or a month. He's describing absolute and utter devastation. Like there's no food. People are dying. There is no hope. There is absolutely Everything has gone wrong. In that frame of reference, in that perspective, we get to verse 18. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And this is awesome. Puts a note here. To the choir master with stringed instruments. What does that mean? He's saying, sing it. Sing it, declare it, rejoice in it. Did you catch it in these four verses twice? Twice, (laughs) he says what? Yet I will. When it comes to worshiping, we do not worship because the circumstances somehow got better. We worship because of who God is. And that's a choice. That's a choice that you and I get to make. That is as much an act of faith as anything we can do of saying we'll worship God in the good and the bad. Here we see him going, yet I will. Yet I will wait. And then in 18, yet I will rejoice. What what has changed from the very beginning? In chapter one, when he's voicing his complaint, when the gloves are off and he's angry at God, wondering what you're doing, to now here when he's saying, yet I will rejoice. What has changed? Nothing. Nothing. Like, if anything, it's gotten worse because of what God has said he's going to do. Yet something really, really significant has changed, hasn't it? Something's changed in here, in Habakkuk's heart, to allow him to know that, wow, the complaints and the questions and the doubts and the seemingly inaction of God, I've, heard, I've voiced it, I've heard his response, and what do I do now? I choose to worship. What a beautiful prayer what a beautiful declaration so my question for us is this is your understanding of the goodness of God measured by your circumstances man that's so easy to do isn't it God loves me why does God love me because life is great God doesn't love me why doesn't God love you because life is not great but what we find in Habakkuk is he's saying circumstances are really hard life is really hard There's a lot of reasons not to believe, but I'm going to stand on what? I'm going to stand on Yahweh, my God, my Holy One, and I'm going to choose to worship. I'm pretty sure Habakkuk would have chosen a different time to live. I'm pretty sure Habakkuk would have chosen a different place to live. At this point, a different people to be a part of because of what was coming and what he was seeing. Life wasn't good, life was overwhelming. And a lot of times today in our culture, I feel like believers, a lot of times can we, we find ourselves wringing our hands at the culture around us, at the challenges around us, the seemingly uh, distancing from God and people turning their own way. And we go, what is going on? And if we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of times we look in the rearview mirror saying, man, I wish I lived back then. I wish I had a chance to raise kids back then instead of today because it would have been easier or I wish this would be different or I wish that that would change. Guys, our God is not wringing his hands. He's not surprised by the cultural battles we face. He's not surprised by people rejecting him and going their own way. And he's not surprised that you and I are living today. He has us uniquely called to be living right here, right now, for this time. Why? To point to our good God, to live by faith. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in the Fellowship of the Ring, there's an exchange between Frodo and Gandalf that I love. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what we do with the time that is given to us. What are you gonna do with the time that has been given to you? Because I don't know the particulars of your story this morning, but I guarantee you some of you came limping in because you're saying this time is so hard. question is when Habakkuk when God says the righteous will live by faith what are you and I going to do with the time that we've been given Bruce Almighty got a response from God and if you've seen the movie got an invitation to play God to be God's to have God's job and it didn't go well And it wouldn't go well if you and I got to do his job, which is why he invites us to trust his plan. How? By faith. Habakkuk is such a beautiful example of the honesty that God invites as we choose to trust him. And in summary, I just want to point this out, the progression that we've just followed. We started with Habakkuk asking this question, what are you doing? What are you doing? And when we ask that question, we find ourselves, the circumstances of our life, pushing us to that question. I want it to move us to another question, just like it did for Rebecca. That question is, what have you done, God? Remind me of what you have done in the past. Remind me of your faithfulness. Remind me of your goodness. Remind me of your promises. Because then when we look back at what he's done, it allows us to look forward to what he has promised. Because it's in the what he has promised where we go, God, I know that you're up to something. I know what you've done. And I know what you are promised. And I don't know the the details of your story. But what I do know is your story fits into a bigger story. And that bigger story has an empty tomb. Which means whatever is going on in your life and in my life, God is able to do anything. And more importantly, God has done everything for you and I to walk by faith. The greatest tool for our faith is looking at what he's done and remembering his faithfulness. And when you look at the cross and you look at an empty tomb, it's a declaration that our God is worthy of our faith, our trust, and our devotion. That doesn't make it easier, but it does give us a path to follow. Now, importantly, this is God is not hoping that his people always stay in this worshiping place. He recognizes that faith is hard. Therefore, it's going to be a continual cycle again and again and again throughout our life. And God's not rushing us again. Okay, you got one day in wavering, you got two days in waiting, and then I want you worshiping by the time we get to Wednesday. Right? Our God knows and he, what we've seen is again and again, he's patient with his people and he's wanting to move them. And guess what? The greatest weapon in my, or the tool of my faith is when I'm in this place where my faith is wavering to remember the last time it was wavering and how then in the waiting, I, found, I was reminded of what God has done and then I found myself worshiping and then again and again and again. We don't get there. We won't arrive at this place where our faith is rock solid and we'll never doubt. That's not the goal until, until we get to the end of the story. And you and I stand face to face with Jesus. And then faith doesn't, isn't needed because we're looking face to face face to with our God who we've lived by faith following. Recently, there's been a song that's been front and center on my mind and I've just loved the truth that it declares. And we're gonna end this morning by declaring, singing this song. And so maybe there's a chance for you just to sit in it And let it just be sung over you. Or maybe it's something you want to declare, but the line is beautiful. It says, I'm fighting a battle that you've already won. No matter what comes my way, I will overcome. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. That's the truth that we get to proclaim this morning by faith. Maybe as we're singing you wanna just sit, maybe you wanna stand or maybe you wanna to head to one of the corners and receive communion, which is the greatest declaration of faith as we remember what Christ has done for us through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I hope the book of Habakkuk would be an encouragement for you as it has been for me and a tool that we can come back to again and again when our faith is stretched, when we're reminded that God invites us to question he invites us to waver he asks us to wait and ultimately he's asking us to worship let's pray father we're thankful for this morning for your truth that we find in this little book god we're thankful that you've given us the freedom and the invitation just like Habakkuk, to voice our complaints our fears our doubts god you ask us to wait and to trust you as you move in ways that maybe we would not have expected or maybe would not have even wanted But God, ultimately, we worship you for what what you've done, for what you're doing, and ultimately, how the story will end. We know, because there's an empty grave, that we will one day see you face to face. And for that, we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.